Yeah, I think, you know, there's that expression that, you know, ideas without execution is just daydreaming, right? So I feel like you need like you need all these puzzle pieces to fit together, especially when you're talking about a competitive and very detailed oriented business like restaurants. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands. From developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really happy today to have Misha Majid with me today, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of Mighty Quinn's Barbecue. Welcome to the podcast, Misha. Thanks, Chrissy. I appreciate you having us. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited to have our listeners hear a story that's a little bit different because you guys are a restaurant that is also a franchise organization. We're headed in that direction. So do you want to give us a little bit of background? Yeah, sure. So Mighty Quinn's Barbecue got its start back in 2012. We started as a corporate-owned brick-and-mortar brand doing authentic barbecue in New York City, which at the time you really couldn't find, you know, just naturally smoked, you know, no gas, no electric, just old school, low and slow way of cooking. So we decided to open our first location in the East Village of New York. I think that out of the gate, we got, you know, great accolades, you know, cover of the New York Times write-ups, you know, great star reviews by food critics. So we, we thought that, you know, the proof of concept that we had was, was really, there was something there. And as we kind of fast forward, you know, almost a decade later, we made the decision to franchise the brand as part of our expansion. So I have two questions for you. I'm going to start with the the beginning. What made you decide to start in New York? It's probably one of the hardest places and people usually think about other places first, but talk about New York. Sure. So, I mean, we were obviously all here to begin with. The brand actually started before we had our first brick and mortar restaurant. Our co-founder and pitmaster Hugh Mangum was smoking meat at an outdoor weekend food market in Brooklyn. Okay. And that's where we really said, okay, you know, the lines were forming instantaneously. They were, you know, 30 deep all day long until we sold out. So that was our true first proof of concept. So we said, okay, you know, we have something here. We weren't going to introduce barbecue in a, in a town that had, you know, 15 barbecue options like you have down south. Yeah. So we, did th- we did this in New York because we thought we had something special and, and really not much competition. Interesting. And talk about what kind of, of restaurant it is so that everyone's really clear. Sure. I mean, if you think about the way that restaurants are categorized now by service format, we're in the fast casual format, yep. right? So it, it's a counter service model. And it, it wasn't really set out to kind of copy anything that was kind of trending or being the, you know, the, ex, the Chipotle of this category. Yeah. Barbecue, barbecue is something that's done in advance. You know, you're smoking ribs for five hours. So it's not like they hit the oven when someone orders them. So everything's done in advance. So having this kind of service format, fast casual style is really natural to the cuisine category. That's really the real reason why we laid it out like that, as opposed to anything that was like in vogue or people trying to, you know, expedite check times or, or anything, any of the metrics that you hear about today, we did it because it felt right to the food that we were serving. How many restaurants do you have now? Sure. So we have, if you combine our corporate locations, our licensed stadium locations and our franchise locations, we have about 15. Awesome. And when did you decide to franchise? How long ago? It was 2018 when we made the decision. Okay. So a little while ago and interesting timing, I'm sure. 
Yeah. So what happened was we introduced the franchise program. We signed a bunch of deals out of the gate. And then, of course, you know, as those were getting started to, to build out and open, COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So really that that just kind of mothballed the growth plan for about a year. But yeah. fortunately, coming out of COVID, we were in a pretty strong position because now all those franchise deals started to get open. Wow. So what made you decide to do it that way? So why the franchise model? I mean, I can guess why, but why don't you talk about what made you guys decide specifically? Sure. Just, you know, as we saw kind of the growth opportunity for the brands, you know, there's two schools of thought. One, you can raise a lot of capital and invest that into real estate and open up your regions, hire infrastructure, hire your team. And then the other avenue, which we thought was interesting, was to basically sync up with established restaurateurs in regions that we wanted to open. Mm-hmm. And we just saw a faster path to growth by doing a, a dual model. So it's not that we're not opening corporate stores because we are. We just opened a, our last corporate store in Hoboken last month. Oh, awesome. But we, should, we just saw the ability to open corporate and franchising simultaneously as, as basically expanding the brand at a rate that we thought was more appropriate for the opportunity set that we have. And so you've been, I mean, 2012, so 10 years is a long time. So congratulations, because you've you've overcome a lot of the time hurdles that new brands have to get through. But talk about some of the challenges you've encountered along the way. Sure. We've been through, I guess, two economic cycles now. When we opened, the economy was soft. Unemployment was around 10%, especially in in our area. And we were happy to be competing in a category that benefited both not being expensive relative to fine dining in New York. And the benefit of that is that when things kind of get into an inflationary environment or softer employment trends, we see a trade down effect. People who were yes. spending 30 bucks on dinner now will spend 20. And so we, I think we're in that sweet spot where we can benefit through different cycles. And I think, I think that's been one of the reasons why we've grown so steadily since we've opened is that we're not competing in an out of reach, out of reach segment that can only be kind of attained during certain you know, market moods. And the second thing is that we've also figured out a way to adapt the model for both residential and commercial business districts. So we have exposure to both. And I think that just means that our opportunity set is maybe twice as much as a brand that's competing with, you know, in in only one of those geographic areas. What was your background? What made you decide to do this? Sure. I think every restaurateur has got some bizarre stories. So mine, <laughs> mine is I started off on Wall Street. I was in investment banking before moving on to the hedge fund industry. Wow. And in the hedge fund space, you know, we look, we invested in really almost every industry. I was what's called like a you know a generalist, and con- the consumer space was always something that interested me because you know unlike for example like oil and gas or something that doesn't really touch your life, like when you invest in the consumer side of of the world, you experience it both in the business but as the end user as well, and I think that gives you a very specific insight into into a company. So, you know, I I had some involvement with, you know, Bulldog Gin was one of the first consumer brands I got involved with, which ended up being sold to Campari. And Mighty Quinn's, I kind of looked at it through the same prism. My my, uh, partners and I came together. We opened up the first restaurant. And when we saw it take off, that's when I decided to kind of step away from the hedge fund business and really focus on growing this brand full time. Wow. And how do you feel about, I mean, you've been doing it for a long time, so I'm sure you feel really good about it, but was it hard to do it at the time? Well, well, you know, it was interesting because my partners and I all brought something different to the table. You know, Hugh is obviously a classically trained chef and the food guy. Mm-hmm. Chris Gormos has been in the restaurant business his whole life, who's our third partner. I mean, I kind of came at it from more of like a finance marketing angle. So I think like when you talk about restaurants that get open, oftentimes there's only one of those pillars there, like a great food guy or a great business guy. 
I think you need that foundation to be successful. Unfortunately, between the three of us, we had that out of the gate. That's interesting. I mean, I think that's true for almost every startup brand that I talk to. Like a lot of times an entrepreneur who has a passion for something starts it without the the other disciplines being represented. And it's definitely more challenging that way. Yeah. I think, you know, there's that expression that, you know, ideas without execution is just daydreaming. Right. right, So I feel like you need like you need all these puzzle pieces to fit together, especially when you're talking about a competitive and very detailed oriented business like restaurants. Yeah, that is true. When you started, what was your experience like? Was it really like when did you know we're really onto something? Was it before you left your other job or further down the road? It was a little further down the road. So we opened in December of 2012 and then Mm -hmm. March, you know, three months later, four months later, that's when we got on the cover of the New York Times dining section, you know, with the two and a half star review. And at the time, I kind of knew that was a big deal, but I didn't realize, you know, how rare that was, especially for a restaurant brand that's based in essence serving food on, you know, paper plates, yeah. right? You know, we yeah. were not a, we were not a fine dining restaurant. So to get those accolades and then later that year, you know, the New York Times called us, you know, top 10 restaurant openings in 2013. And wow. it, it kind of kept snowballing. So, you know, that that was really the validation for me and seeing what that press did to the business just financially to give me the conviction to say, OK, let's all kind of get together and see what we can do with this thing. Awesome. So talk about your expansion. Have you done it geographically? Is, is the, Are the corporate stores around New York or have you really spread out? Yeah, so. Our, our original goal was to grow in concentric circles, starting mm-hmm. from home base in New York. So, you know, we're now we're in New Jersey. We opened up a franchisee in Queens earlier this year as well. So that plan has worked out. And now as we franchise, we have a, uh, access to markets kind of up and down the East Coast. Yeah. Our next one will be in Tampa Bay, Florida later this month. So we want to keep things close to home. We want to have, you know, a oversight over the franchise locations as if they were corporate locations. We're a small yeah. brand. We're growing fast. Each each store that opens is, is kind of you know a subset of our brand and we want to treat it like it's our own. So I think that over time, we will start to slowly spread west. But for now, we want to be East Coast focused. Awesome. What's different and unique about you guys versus all the other options that people have, especially in the barbecue space. I mean, when you started, it was probably, as you said, there weren't many. There are probably more now, but I still don't think there's tons and tons. Yeah, no, it's it's a very fragmented industry yeah, compared yeah. to things like burgers or pizza, yeah. where you see these, these huge, you know, mega brands. So, you know, for me, just as a consumer before Mighty Quinn's, going into a barbecue place was always a, a little confusing. Like when you want to get ribs and they're sold by the pound, it's like, okay, how many pounds of ribs do I want to eat? Like there was always this confusion point. It wasn't yeah. a simplistic ordering process. So we wanted to kind of make it almost like Shake Shackable, where you come in, you can get a sandwich, a side and a drink. And like, that's a meal. And I think like we've kind of created the menu to accommodate that. So unlike other barbecue, other barbecue places, we'll have single servings for every option. So, you know, if you're eating for one, you're getting a single serving. But then we also have food by the pound. So if you want that more traditional, like pound of brisket, pound of uh, pork kind of experience, you could do that um, all off a very streamlined menu. So I think I think we bring simplicity in ordering. And we also bring the digital side to things, which I think is unique in that we have, you know, a native ordering channel, both web and app, which we built out as early as 2016. And I feel like that gave us a real competitive advantage, especially during COVID when, you know, we had to shut dining rooms. I think our team, you know, really did miss a beat during that transition. That's amazing. I mean, that's pretty unusual. So you're lucky that 
you guys had the foresight to do that, I think, at the time, because that was really tough. Like that was what put some people out, actually. Growing up, I'll say in New York, this business, you know, delivery has become a bigger and more important piece of the business every yeah. year. And yeah. so we saw that trend a while ago and, and didn't think it was going to change for anything. I mean, people gravitate towards convenience. We saw that in online shopping. We see that in every industry. And now when you have this convenient, you know, online ordering system for your meals, we people take advantage of that. And we wanted to really lean into that trend. Has anything changed from a COVID raised awareness of all the health and the health issues that we have as a country? Did that change anything for you guys? Not really. I mean, we kind of know we are, we stay in our lane. Relative to other barbecue places, this is not a overly indulgent, sugary, saucy meal. You know, we are smoking proteins over, you know, 15 to 20 hours a day. You know, we don't have a very sugary sauce. Only a few menu items actually have sauce on them. So if you want to eat clean, we buy only, you know, naturally raised meat. All of our sides are, you know, chef-based. We're very ingredient focused. So, you know, barbecue doesn't have to be this like eat, eat your meal and go sleep for three hours. You know, it's, yeah. our, our yeah. menu is, is more accessible. It's a cleaner menu. And I think that, you know, there's certainly a market opportunity for the vegan stuff and, and, and plant-based everything, but that doesn't mean that you can't offer just a killer barbecue menu and, and compete alongside those other brands. Do you offer anything? I mean, it sounds like no, anything for, for vegetarians right now? You like coleslaw? <laughs> no, we we honestly we did we did have an LTO. We did an in my opinion, an amazing veggie burger. None of the GMO soy crazy concoctions we see on the yep. market today. It was just a natural, beautiful smoked veggie burger. But it was a learning process. I mean, for us, like our customers didn't really care about that, right? Mm -hmm. they, that's not why they come to Mighty Quinn's. Yep. You know, I, I love that Michael Simon quote where he said, you know, he doesn't walk into a vegan restaurant and ask for foie gras. We wanted yep. to just kind of stick with what we were doing yep. and just continue to execute it well. So I think we're going to, we'll stay in our lane going forward. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I, I think people talk a lot about, I mean, even vegetarians aren't always vegetarians. And I do think it's interesting. A lot of restaurants have tried it and it just doesn't seem to be why people go to some restaurants. Just not. No, I mean, the majority of the country is omnivores, right? Someone who eats a veggie burger doesn't mean they're vegetarian. And I, did, right. I think just That's having right. that variety is important. We always set out to have a streamlined menu. And just by virtue of that, it's limited in what we can offer. Yep. Yep. And I'm sure better because of it. I mean, I hope that's the goal. Yes, I'm sure that's true. So you talked about one of your partners, Chris, is a restaurant person. How important was that to have that kind of background for you guys? Oh, it's huge. I mean, he, he literally grew up in the restaurant business, starting in the diner business, moving on to catering halls. So just in terms of the way of operationally setting up a structure that could scale. So, mm -hmm. you know, from, from equipment suppliers to vendor networks to kitchen organization, like bringing that skill set to the table helped us by, by avoiding a bunch of mistakes. And I think okay. a lot of mistakes help you get smarter and learn faster, but they can also slow your growth. And I think we skipped a lot of that, fortunately. And have you guys done a lot of, have you had to raise capital a bunch of times at all? Yeah, you know, we did, in essence, kind of a friends and family a few years ago. And then last year, we did our first, you know, formal institutional raise with both ventures. You know, we formed a board of directors, we took capital in, we formalized our business plan. And I think that has been great in just, you know, helping us focus on where we want to get to and making yeah. sure that we have, you know, not only the balance sheet to fund it, but also the kind of advisory safety net 
to make sure that we're, we're growing this thing correctly. And, and I yeah. think that's, it's, it's a, it's a year in, but it's been great. Oh, so that's relatively recent. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think probably very well timed too. I think it's, it's obviously so challenging right now, which I'm sure, you know, to even yeah. think about raising capital. Yeah. hundred percent. And one of the, one of the impacts of all these closures we've seen in the restaurant industry is the big brands have gotten even bigger. And so what that means for small brands like us or growing brands, I should say, is that you have to scale faster to get some of those economies of, of scale for the business. So we're, we're very yeah. mindful of that. So what's your goal? How fast do you want to grow? Do you have like a, rest, a number of restaurants you want to open per year or in five years you want to be X size? No. So we're, we're not targeting a growth number per se. We're really just focusing on opening up new areas that we think are going to do well for us and finding the right franchise partners. If we found 10 franchise partners that were all A plus and checked all the boxes for, for next year, we would, we would probably sign all of them because we have mm-hmm. the resources to open those now. But if, the, if it was only two, we would open two. We know if we kind of open you know, per our plan and not compromise on what we're looking for, for both real estate franchisees, you know, and everything in between that, that we're going to get to the right end point. So that, that's where we're focused. So awesome. So no real numbers. Talk about your products. I know you have products as well, right? Sauces. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. So yeah, CPG is something that started just out of the restaurant. We, people started asking for our, our bottled sauce. We started bottling our sauce and then the rubs was the next conversation so this year, our, you know, we got a little bit more serious about it. We found co-packers, we increased our production runs, and we also brought someone on to head up kind of our CPG effort. And I think right now we're in about 100 grocery stores. Oh. And, you know, we're looking to triple that um, by next year. Was that a goal for you guys initially, or was that something that was just serendipitous? Kind of both. Both in that as we grow, we thought, you know, what better way to get the brand name out there by having a whole different distribution opportunity, right? So the grocery store presented that. I think we would have been there even if we were, you know, one of one, stayed one restaurant in Manhattan, we probably would have bottled our sauces anyway. Yes. So, So that's what I'm saying. It's a little bit of both. But I think like now a lot of restaurant brands are exploring the CPG side because there's no reason why a customer has to walk into your your four walls to experience the food. They yeah. can bring it. They yeah. can bring it home. Yeah. And how how do you feel that that's going? Has that has it? I mean, it's totally different. So you're doing all the things, right? You've got the challenges of growing a restaurant, starting to franchise, and then also a CPG brand. So how yeah. is the CPG part? So the CPG part is competitive, but I think the thing I like about it is that there's very little kind of unknowns, right? You open a restaurant door, a million things can go wrong. With CPG, we have our inventory, we know our selling price, and it's just about getting orders and and fulfillment. So the variability is is lower and which from as a Wall Street guy, maybe I I flock to that a little bit more because, you know, the forecastability and, and knowing what we're getting into, there's just less things that can go wrong. Well, how do you get distribution? By making distributors fall in love with your product. Right? <laughs> so barbecue sauce traditionally has been kind of a sugary corn syrup laden product. And, mm-hmm. you know, we came to the market with a very clean product, you know, no GMOs, no corn syrup. Uh, it's gluten free. That's uh, low in sugar. Not to accommodate the trend, just we thought the flavors of our ingredients spoke better than just, you know, sweetness. And it's also in a unique bottle. You know, all most barbecue sauces are in that traditional glass kind of pear-shaped bottle. We have a dark 16-ounce amber Boston round that stands out on the shelf. 
our branding kind of speaks to like kind of the art deco vibes of like butcher shops in the 30s. So there's mm -hmm. something unique there. And I think that it, it stands off on the shelf and retailers can charge a premium for it because it is different and special. Yeah. So you have a good story, not only a good product, but also bringing maybe a different consumer to retail. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I think any of us do now when you buy, especially barbecue sauce, I look at the ingredients label first. I want to know yep. what's in this thing. It could be super clean or super not clean. Yeah. The ones that kind of abide by the things we all want to see on that ingredient label actually taste better anyway. So it's, it's the first thing I think everyone looks at now. So we're super focused on that. So what do you see as your biggest challenge in the next two years for both? So talk about them separately or maybe together, the, the restaurants and the idea of having all these franchisees. Let's talk about that first. Does that worry you? Does it excite you both? Everything's exciting. You know, whenever we have growth in anything, we're we're super we're super happy about it. You know, growth implies that more people are interacting with your brand than they did the day before. And as we open up new restaurants, we know that a lot of those will be franchisee facing. So, you know, our concern, what we worry about is we want to make sure that we have a super comprehensive training program yeah. where franchisees and their employees can walk out of our facilities and feeling like, okay, I know how to run this thing. I know all the nuances. I know what to do to prevent things from going wrong. So if we can set them up for success properly, but also give them the ability to train their own teams, I know we're going to be successful. So that is a big focus for us now, especially as we have four franchises opening this year and, and more next year. We want to make sure that we have that foundational kind of protocol set. And, and that's what we've been focusing on for the past year. Do you have any concerns about franchisees coming on and diluting the brand from either a messaging perspective or quality perspective? Yeah, I, I think you have to go in with that assumption and then you figure mm -hmm. out proactively how to, how to prevent that. You know, we do our best to figure out who's going to be the right representative for the brand. But of course, at the end of the day, you don't know until the restaurant opens. The restaurant business is it's not an easy nine to five job. And Mighty Quinn specifically is not a simplistic model. We're, we're very much food focused, not about, you know, heating up frozen food or something that's more kind of turnkey in the franchise space. So finding people who are passionate about barbecue and hospitality are two of the very important things that we look for. And then we just kind of supplement that with our training and then hope, you know, hope we do the best that we can. And, but it's what you said is spot on. I mean, you're, you're always never going to know until you know. Yeah. Yeah. How do you guys get the word out right now? Like, what do you do from a marketing perspective? What's been really successful for you? What's been more challenging? I think so. To answer that question, two ways on the corporate side, there's still a ton of people in our trade areas who don't know Mighty Quinn. So, yeah. you know, we try to do the best job that we can with our resources, you know, whether it's, you know, social media channels, whether it's the collaborations that we do with bigger brands. We'll continue to focus on stuff like that. And then on the franchise side, you know, we really haven't done much franchisee marketing. A lot of franchise brands, you know, are buying keywords and going to trade shows. Yep. Fortunately for us, like people have found us, you know, there's not a lot of barbecue brands that are doing franchising, especially on the authentic side, the not fast food category. Right, right. And so I think when people search, they naturally find us, we invite them in, they experience the food, they kind of spend the day with us behind the scenes and they understand that this is something they can do. I think as we grow more, we will start to formulize a more structured franchisee outreach program, which we're kind of putting together now, because I think the opportunity set is so big that we're almost going to do ourselves a disservice by not having someone just solely focused on finding those right franchisees. Are there other restaurants like yours? I mean, you mentioned, I know this is true because from my own experience, there are lots of little pockets of places or one-offs. 
Is there anything conceptually just like you guys somewhere else in the country? There is. There's a lot of small two to five store Mm -hmm. fast casual barbecue brands. And what I'll say is I think going forward, we are going to see some consolidation in the space. Mm -hmm. I think barbecue will always have like regional favorites, not, not cuisine specific, but brand specific. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as we start growing as an industry, it will make a lot of financial sense for some of these smaller brands to, you know, join forces and get some, get some economies of scale. So I think that'll play out over the next few years. And are you guys wanting to do something like that? Or you want to stay very, very true to who you are and grow your brand organically? If we, if we found like-minded companies, there always has to be that chemistry between teams. I think it's a home run and it's a no brainer. So it's not just about you know, combining a 15 unit count with a seven unit count, there's a lot of things that have to work. But yeah, we would definitely, we're going to, I mean, we've been open and we'll be open to looking at those opportunities. Interesting. And when you look for franchise operators, are you looking for for people who already have other restaurants? Are you looking for people who are just really passionate, both? Yeah. So ideally, restaurant experience is a huge plus. You know, we we are very good at teaching the Mighty Quinn system, but learning the restaurant business is Regardless, a multi-year process. Mm-hmm. So finding those seasoned vets is, is a huge benefit. And fortunately, some of them have come to us. So that's that's been great. But at the same time, we've had extremely passionate you know, entrepreneurs who love the brand, who wanted to do something new. And as a young brand, you know, we make the decision, you know, is this right? Is this not? And so I think as we grow, we'll probably see more experienced multi-unit franchisees under the umbrella. But there's still going to be, you know, it's not like we we deny people who don't have restaurant experience to, to join up with us. I think that would be a missed opportunity set because everyone is a first time restaurant tour at some point in their life, right? We, yes, if, we, yes. if, we, if we can find them, the good ones early, then I think that, that'll be huge for us. Yeah. And then talk about the CPG side. What's challenging on that front for you guys and how fast, big do you want to see that grow? Yeah. So CPG, I think the biggest challenge is just structurally, it's a low margin business, right? Mm-hmm. Especially, especially in so, in the in the categories that we're competing in, barbecue yep. sauce specifically. So for us, you have to get to a scale. Obviously, this is not yes. rocket science. You get to a scale where your costs drop, and it's it's almost like you have to hit escape velocity to do that. You 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 kind of have an investment, and that investment needs to yield a certain amount of sales, and then you can kind of start the process over at a bigger size. So this is new and I expect this will be, you know, a three-year journey for us, but our, so we're just really focused on getting into doors right now. Step Mm -hmm. one, open doors, not so much focused on the margin. We want people to experience what we do and the uniqueness of it. And then as we can create that repeat business, well, that's when the kind of the growth in the economies of scale will kick in, which we're focused more towards like maybe end of next year. Okay. When you think about repeat business and scale, have you had any, I mean, it's, I know it's so new for you, but as you scale and grow, the need to support the retailers that you're in becomes bigger and bigger. And have you guys... Talked about that, thought about that. I mean, so that's part of kind of the evolution of growing this business. Step one was we have someone solely focused on getting us in the door. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we've seen depletions, like obviously you know, sauces sold off the shelf very high when they hit the yeah. store. So that hasn't right. been an issue yet. But we know as we kind of grow into, you know, 60, 70 unit chains that we want yeah. to support them with programs. So we're we're figuring out what that looks like right now. But I think that'll be a 2023 initiative for us. 
Exciting. Yeah. So what are, what are you most looking forward to about the business then? Is it that side of it? Is it both? It's more the restaurant side, the corporate and the franchise growth. Yeah. I think there is tremendous white space in barbecue in the country. You know, we we started this in New York because there was very little competition. And I think even today that dynamic still exists in huge urban and even suburban, you know, dense suburban areas. And if we can cut, if we can establish a marquee consumer brand in the way that kind of Shake Shack have a, you know revolutionized fast food burgers. I think that there's a huge first mover advantage. There's a tremendously wide open opportunity set, and I feel that as you grow this thing, there you know we've seen even most recently with a couple of deals in the marketplace that big multi unit restaurant brands who don't have kind of the barbecue category checked. I think we'll start to look for who's going to be that that brand. And that, that's kind of have our eye on that target. Awesome. Anything that you, you know, I always love to have some part of this be advice for people who are contemplating doing what you're doing, starting a brand. I have talked to a handful of restaurant brands, but not that many. So anything that you would say as advice, like do these things because otherwise it's going to be too hard. Yeah. So fortunately now, so unfortunately for us, but fortunately for first time start, you know, first time um, restaurant people, it's much easier to test a concept, right? There's a million pop-up markets now. You can get it to a, into a ghost kitchen for, you know, well under 100 grand of startup costs. So there are ways to see if people actually care about what you're doing before you drop, you know, half a million bucks into a restaurant. And my, I guess my advice would be to do as many of those as, po- as you can, right? Think of it's and it's not just like try a pop up. It's like think about who's your customer, where do they live, when do they shop, how do they shop, and then really try to kind of open up and test where those circles line up. That's not something that we had available to us ten years ago, excluding the the one weekend pop up market. But I feel like whether you're doing a consumer product good, a, a, a jarred good, hot food service, ice cream, whatever it is, you there's an opportunity for you to test before you build, and I, I would definitely encourage people to do that. Can you talk about ghost kitchens just in case people don't know what those are? Sure. So we've seen as delivery has become such a big piece of the pie of the restaurant business, we've seen companies, two of the big ones, Cloud Kitchen and Kitchen United, open up almost warehouse kitchens where you can open a 150 square foot, you know, kitchen only, no dining room operation to just fulfill delivery orders. So you live on all the platforms. No one really knows where your restaurant is, but they can get your food. And so the benefit is your startup costs are lower. You're just buying equipment. Your labor requirements is typically, you know, one to three people. Yeah. That's pretty awesome that that, that's available. Very different now. Absolutely. And it's been saturated, you know, just like all great things, including the evolution of the internet, things grow quickly. And then a lot of it burns away and you're left with some kind of foundational business that works. And I think we're we're in the process now where kind of the you know overgrowth is starting to wean itself away and we'll see kind of what's left in a year or two. Yeah, yeah. Any other things that you think people need to know when they're thinking about what what you guys are doing or the kinds of things you're doing? No, just in terms of getting your name out there, these digital channels offer such a low cost opportunity to kind of put out, put, you know, get imagery and video and messaging in front of people. And of course, you know, anyone who is starting out knows this, but I feel like that's also a great way to validate what you're doing by seeing how people just react and engage with you online. I mean, that that's going to tell you a lot. Talk about your platforms, because I know that a lot of the brands I'm working with right now are super 
unhappy with the way that Facebook and Instagram and Meta has evolved and the privacy issues are really, really seriously affecting business. What about for you? You know, the, the switch of, of their algorithms. Yeah, I think it was all a bit of a net burden for people who use those systems, right? Because yeah. you have a much lower ability to reach the people you're trying to reach. But yes. I think that just the over the the broad reach of these platforms is still so immense that, yep. you know, if you can create and post engaging content, you know, if you build it, they will come. I mean, you will find these people regardless of what the algorithms do. So, you know, we're we're sticking with it, obviously, as, as most everyone is. I feel like the privacy laws will continue to iterate and and, and probably get more onerous for advertisers, which yes. it just kind of is what it is. I mean, you have to adapt. And, and you know, we've adapted by pivoting from, you know, photo-based content to more video-based content. And we've seen our engagement up fivefold. So wow. and that's, uh, that's just in the, the last few months. So I feel like there's very much an opportunity to take advantage of the breadth of those platforms still. Yeah. And how important is it? You're talking about a lot about content you, and one of your partners is the chef. So how yeah. important is it that he's involved in all of that? And does he show up often? And does that increase your engagement? Yeah. Look, I mean, when we were one of one, I mean, Hugh was literally at the cutting board serving up yep. our customers, right? With yep. 15 locations, yep. that's not no longer possible. So, you know, his involvement is, is still very much there. He's kind of doing more things on TV. He's, you know, he's, he's a judge on Be Bobby Flay. He's on Firemasters on the Cooking Network. So, you know, he's still very much part of the DNA of the brand. But of course, he's not going to be at restaurants, you know, he'll, he'll be involved in openings and whatnot. But yeah. the day to day is obviously much less so now. Yeah, interesting. But yeah. I'm sure the exposure is fantastic for the restaurants. Oh, 100%. I mean, just like our strategy with grocery. I mean, the more places we can put Mighty Quinn's, the better. And now we have national TV coverage for free. And that's been yeah. great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. I'm so happy. That's great. I'm really excited to see where you guys take the brand. I think it's cool. And I think you're right. I don't think there's a lot of it. It's certainly not widespread. Where I mean, I couldn't go get takeout barbecue right now anywhere. Oh, yeah. Except for a real rest, you know, a restaurant, but I certainly yeah. couldn't go get takeout. So that's interesting. We'll try to, we'll try to fix that problem for you. Try to get to Red Bank. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to want people to know before we wrap up? I mean, there's so much good stuff in here. I'm glad we talked a little bit about the platforms that you guys are on too, because I think it's interesting. I think the content and the getting the word out is a real struggle for brands right now. The one thing I would just leave you with, I feel that as we see more competition really in any marketplace, to the extent that you can really articulate the story of what you're doing and why you're doing it, yeah. you know, it resonates a lot with people. It's not so much about that, you know, that food porn sexy video or, or amazing food shot. It's really about, you know, the whys and the hows of, of, how, of what you're doing. Telling that story, I think, is equally as important as all the other stuff we talked about. I couldn't agree more. And I'm actually glad you said it because I think a lot of people forget as they start to get success, you know, if you don't have those whys and you don't talk about why you're different for real, you wind up being a brand that has to compete on price and anyone can romance the way they talk about their food, whether it's true or not. And then you have to discount and all those things. But I think that because you know how important it is to build a really solid brand story that's authentic, that's the thing that carries you, right? That's the thing that gets you connected. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you start. I think that's how people discover you. And then so that's like the bait. And then like the actual hook is the food, right? That's what keeps them coming back. Exactly. Exactly. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. I think it's awesome for people to hear. And I love what you guys are doing. And I really wish you all the success in the world. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday. Thank you.